Welcome to this episode of the Plant Breeding Stories podcast, where I talk to leading lights in plant breeding, asking what they do, what makes them tick, and what fascinates them about the world of plants. I'm your host, Hannah Senior of PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. We design and produce specialist pollination bags and tents used by plant breeders and seed producers all around the world. And through this, I've been privileged to get a unique perspective on how plant breeding globally affects our diets, farming systems, and the environment. I'm excited to share a little of this with you as we meet some of the amazing people who make plant breeding their life's work. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Claire Mukankusi, who is the Global Breeding Lead for Common Beans at the Alliance of Biodiversity International and SEAT, the International Centre for Tropical Agriculture. In this conversation, we talk about the forces driving a greater focus on beans as a priority for research, including reducing the devastating impact of root rot and why focusing on traits such as faster cooking time are so important. We also touch on how the Alliance's global reach and collaborative approach to research influences the work that they do. Transcripts of this episode and all our podcasts are available at pbsinternational.com forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Dr. Claire Mukankusi, thank you for talking to me today. It would be great to start things off by understanding a little bit about you and your background. Would you like to introduce yourself and start the story there? Thank you, Hannah. Okay, so my name is Claire Mukankusi. I work as a, a breeder for common beans. I am working at the Alliance of uh, Biodiversity International and SEAT. I am based in Uganda. I've worked as a breeder for the last uh, maybe 12, 12 years, I think so. And uh, really my interests in, uh, in plants is more a general interest in biology and uh, living things. I was interested in science subjects and uh, through my education, I was able to pursue agriculture and then uh, master's in crop science and plant pathology and a PhD in plant breeding. That now led to my career throughout. I've been doing plant breeding for the last 12 years. And tell me about the young Claire. Did you did you grow up in the countryside? Is that how you came to be interested in science? Or, or did your family have a scientific occupation or a scientific background how did tell me a little bit about your your early years and how that led to your interests now actually I didn't grow up from the countryside I grew up from the city in Entebbe you know Entebbe in Uganda my dad was a medical laboratory technician so he spent most of his time in the lab and we used to go spend time in the lab to see what he's doing but I think also my interest came from from the education I was getting at school, and I tended to prefer the technical type of subjects. Really, to me, they made more sense. Tell me a little bit more about how you chose to go into plant breeding and food production and agriculture. I'm really enjoying hearing the sound of the birds and so on behind you, so I can tell you're in a <laughs> you're not in a city at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> The natural setting. Yes, I now live in the outskirts of Kampala, so it's it's really beautiful and uh, there are a lot of birds and animals. Yeah, it sounds lovely. I had originally wanted to be a medical doctor, but uh, I wasn't able to get the grades for me to be able to pursue medicine at university. So the next big thing that I was offered under government sponsorship was agriculture. 
So it wasn't like my first choice at that time. But once I dwelled into agriculture, I, I started loving it because the way I see it is like the, what I would have done as a medical doctor is what I did with the plants this time because I, I majored in plant pathology. So really it was about diagnosing diseases, trying to manage diseases in plants instead. Yeah. One of the things I notice about plant breeding and agriculture is that people often don't know what kind of careers can come from it. People know what a doctor does, but did you know what a plant breeder does when you were young? Not at all, not at all. Actually, I said understanding what plant breeding is at university. You know, I didn't really care so much. I, but I always wondered what made things different, what caused the diversity. So I knew it was natural, you know. What we're seeing was naturally caused by, you know, either the pollination and so on going on. I didn't know that uh, they're actually human beings that are also behind the diversity that we see. So at that time, at a young age, I really didn't know what about plant breeding. Just a moment ago, you mentioned that um, you became interested in plant pathology and then now you're a plant breeder. So just briefly describe for me, how did that transition happen between a sort of general um, agricultural training, then focusing in pathology and then becoming a plant breeder? How did all that work? Okay, to me, I, I saw it like a perfect fit. So master's in plant pathology, at that time I understood diseases. I understood uh, uh, the resistance and susceptibility, how diseases affect affect different crops and, you know, the different aspects of plant pathology. But then when it came to how my knowledge could be useful to a farmer, I thought plant breeding was the way actually plant pathology could contribute to what actually gets into farmers' fields. So maybe it wasn't very obvious for me at that time, because really in Africa here, it's mainly where you get the opportunities. And at that time, there was a, there was a great emphasis on a, uh, an African revolution. So there's a lot of support from several donors trying to build capacity of young scientists to contribute to the African Green Revolution. So at that time, the Rockefeller Foundation was offering scholarships in plant breeding. And I was just fresh from school after finishing my master's in plant pathology. I had only spent one year out of school. So when I saw this opportunity, I said, wow, this is great for me because I could still do plant pathology while I did plant breeding because I could breed for plant resistance. So there was a very strong connection between the two fields, yeah. Tell me a bit about the alliance between Biodiversity International and SEAT and what you do in your role as the global breeding lead for Common Beans. The Alliance of Biodiversity International and SEAT has uh, uh, breeding hubs in uh, Colombia, uh, breeding hubs in Africa. There are three breeding hubs. The breeding hubs do have to work together. They work together with the national programs in Latin America as well as in Africa, and they do this through breeding networks. So the role of a breeding lead really is to coordinate the breeding activities. So it is to offer strategic direction to ensure that the team is coordinated and uh, having uh, uh, well-outlined uh, goals with the whole really essence of achieving genetic gain and making impact in the farmers' fields. So really the responsibilities are to oversee the breeding program to ensure that our tasks are aligned to the vision that we have, all our operations, and that uh, we are addressing our market segments to ensure that uh, we utilize the resources that we have efficiently. And uh, of course, trying to ensure that we, we keep track of the current breeding technologies 
to see how they apply to common beans and where we can actually be able to use them, but also ensure that uh, the program remains relevant and that the outputs that come from it are well communicated so that we continually attract the investments into the program. Our role is really to ensure that we continually improve and, uh, and uh, develop better varieties each time and uh, yeah, we remain a strong program. The Alliance was formed when Biodiversity International and SEAT, the International Centre for Tropical Agriculture, joined forces a few years ago. Um, both were, and uh, the Alliance is now, a centre within CGIR. Can you tell me a bit about the kind of work that the Alliance is doing now? So this, this SEAT and, uh, and Biodiversity was one of the, the first, maybe a few centres that started uh, looking at their areas of focus and seeing, okay, we're actually doing things that could be similar, things that, that if we, we came together, we could actually be stronger than if we were separate. So the goal is to do re- deliver research-based solutions that harness agricultural biodiversity and they sustainably transform food systems. So we look at uh, food systems in, in general. So we have uh, research that is towards uh, understanding biodiversity, using the biodiversity to, to make uh, improvements in the livelihoods of people. But also we also talk about the improvement of the, of the biodiversity that we have. We have uh, breeding programs also that are focused on specific crops. So when we came together, the work now is more food system driven, but at the same time, we also strengthen our breeding program because we've brought on several new capacities into the whole system. So we look at the whole of the of the chain of everything to do with agriculture. And what crops do you focus on? What are you breeding? So the crops are, are beans, common beans that I work on, cassava, forages, and rice specifically. Your focus is on common beans. So just to make sure we're all on the same page, can you explain to me what's meant by common beans and why they're an important crop? Common bean actually is, the, is the, I think, one of the most important food legumes in the world. But in Africa here, it is a major food, especially in East and Central Africa. It's a major source of protein, a major source of nutrients, micronutrients, especially iron and zinc. It's a, a source of dietary fiber. It also contributes to the agricultural systems. So it fixes uh, uh, nitrogen in the soil. So it's used in crop rotation systems to ensure that we have more fertile soils. And originally, it used to be a, a, a small crop focused on women. Women are growing, growing it for food security in their homesteads. But with a lot of uh, efforts that have come from different places, including what we do as Alliance of Seat, but also under the Pan-Africa Bean Research Alliance, we've been able to promote beans to make sure that they have reached a level where they're actually an income-generating crop, not only for women, but also for men and youth. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a bit about the breeding objectives in the program? What are the goals? Okay, so the goals for the program really are are, they are not static, they're ever-changing. So our, our breeding goals are continually changing to continually be useful. But of course, we, over my time with beans, I have noted that actually there are, there are few traits that are very consistent when it comes for breeders. Some traits that are usually consistent and actually can guide a breeder you know, things to do with the, with the seed size and seed color. So if we see that in Africa and even Latin America, there's specific preferences of different grain classes of beans. Yeah. Beans are, are endowed in a way that there are several types of beans. 
based on color and seed size. So we have red beans, white beans, yellow beans, uh, mottled beans, uh, purple beans, and so on. And they'll have small beans, medium size, large size. So you'll find different geographies prefer different types of beans. So that's one thing that a, a reader has to take note. What type of grain, what type of grain yeah, to, does that, that region prefer? But embedded within that, the grain are those production traits. Production traits are the ones that will actually lead to a yield. Most of the farmers want something that is high yielding. Yeah, and to have high yield, high yield, you have to consider the production environment. So things to do with the disease resistance, uh, resistance to abiotic stresses like drought, uh, heat, loss of fertility, things to do with toxicity of the soil. So there are things that actually could result in low yield. And those are some of the traits that we need to we focus on. While we're talking about disease resistance, I wanted to touch on a common problem, which is bean root rot. And I know that was something you were involved with when you were doing your PhD. Yeah, I was uh, straight from, from the university with a master's degree in plant pathology. I joined SEAT as a research assistant plant pathology, working with the regional plant pathologist. That was Dr. Robin Borochara at that time. And he had a project on root roots, bean root roots, and he had me working on that, but also gave me an opportunity to actually read and understand what was going on in the bean sector. It came out to me that uh, diseases were the major production constraint for beans in eastern Central Africa. So I was based in Uganda, and root roots came out as uh, mostly maybe number one because, of course, there, there's anglalispore, there's anthracnose, the common bacterial blight, the viruses, being common mosaic virus. But uh, compared to those uh, foliar diseases, the root rot, once it affects beans, it actually kills the plant. Yeah, because it's a root rot, it, it kills the roots and the plant dies away, unless you have a resistant variety. And at that time, there was uh, some management practices that were available for, for the other disease, but for, uh, for root rots, it was uh, becoming a challenge. Some farmers actually abandoning beans because of, of uh, root rots. Some of them were actually saying that this is witchcraft, you know, because people would grow beans and they just rot, you know. They didn't understand what was going on. At that time when I joined Seat, that's when root rot was actually very hot, very hot at that time. It was uh, really reducing the bean production in Eastern Central Africa. So that's how I came to work on it. And actually, I, I studied Fusarium root rot as part of my PhD. I was looking for sources of resistance to Fusarium root rot. I was able to understand the genetics of inheritance for resistance to Fusarium root rot. I was able to identify the sources and then be able to develop materials that are resistant out of uh, the courses that I developed. And you, you, if I remember rightly, you said that um, something like up to 60% of um, plants can be lost to root rot in, in heavily affected areas. Is that right? No, it's actually 100%. If you have a susceptible variety and you're grown in a, in a, in a, a root rot prone field, let's say, you'll get 100% yield loss. Because when we think about yield improvement, we oft, it's, it's often um, in the context of how can we get more pods on a plant or more beans in a pod. But actually, if you're losing the vast majority, if not all of your plants to a disease, that's, that's a completely different sense of the, the pressure, the disease pressure on this crop. And, you know, you can see why it is so pressing um, to find resistant varieties. You're listening to Plant Breeding Stories, brought to you by PBS International, world leaders in pollination control. 
We're exploring the personal stories behind people who've dedicated their careers to plant breeding, helping us to more productive plants, greater food security, and more sustainable agriculture. Now, back to the podcast. One of the things that I would like to understand in a little bit more detail is is the priority that has been put on beans in the past versus now. You mentioned that most parts of the bean plant are edible, plus it has agronomic benefits in improving the soil, it's important in the rotation, but traditionally beans have been lower priority compared to some other crops, um, particularly some of the grain crops like um, maize. So Tell me a bit about why that is the case and what's causing it to change now. Why are they becoming, why are beans becoming more important? So the, the research history for Africa is not long, long ago. Agricultural research in particular. So like maybe 30 years ago, I think that's when research came on the agenda. And at that time, there was need to prioritize on what are the major crops actually to do research on. So the staple crops actually got highly prioritized crops that could actually earn uh, a farmer's income but sometimes also contribute to to some nutrition so things like maize yeah were getting more attention compared to crops like beans and actually even before bean before maize itself as a crop there were crops that actually got more attention the cash the cash crops let's say those crops like coffee cotton tea you know those were the, the export crops for for uganda so those crops got the research attention at that time. It's when the issues to do with food came up, you know, malnutrition and so on came up. Food research also got a, a space in the research agenda. Most of the research funds went to cereal crops and a bit of, of root crops. Then for the legumes, the legumes really struggled to get a place because they're always considered as, a, you know, they can grow on their own, they are small crops, they cannot make it in the market. So, like, they're really not given that attention until issues uh, to do with nutrition, the importance of, of nutrition, protein, and, uh, of course, uh, the, the nutrients like iron and zinc being provided from a cheap source, something that was already available. Because most people would say protein, to get protein, you need animal products. You need to get it from either beef or eggs. And they, most people couldn't afford those sources of protein and, and nutrients. So within the production system, there were beans and legumes that were already growing there, and there could be sources of those type of nutrients. So that's when the focus on legumes became important. But of course, there was competition. There's still competition up to now on research resources for, for the different crops. So how did SIAT get involved? SIAT in Colombia was the head is the was the headquarters for SIAT. And we do have a gene bank for for common bean, for Fazulas, yeah. Common bean is Fazulas vulgaris. So we do have a a, a gene bank that that uh, we maintain up to thirty thousand accessions of beans. So when the issue of nutrition and protein came up, SIAT was quick to come up and come up with a program in Africa. The PABRA came up, yeah, the Pan-Africa Bean Research Alliance. This is an alliance that is facilitated by SIAT. So the alliance uh, brought together different national programs in Africa, uh, brought together different uh, partners to work together with support from a few donors. Yeah? So there have been mainly two donors that have been supporting PABRA from the initiation, and that has been the Swiss Development Corporation plus the Government of Canada. So they've been supporting PABRA since that time, to be able to do research, 
that benefits several countries. So the idea is to share resources, both human and financial. So initially it was cash crops driving the agenda. And then more recently, nutrition has become the concern to drive breeding priorities. And I wonder, as we look to the future, what do you think will dictate the priorities in as we go forward? Do you think it'll continue to be nutrition or perhaps demand for plant-based proteins internationally? Yes, I think so. And they are already driving the agenda because as you look, the populations, the people these days are not the same like the people over 20 years ago. There has been more of an urbanization that has taken place. So the preferences of the people are actually changing. We see more urban communities demanding specific things, you know. It's no longer about having food alone, but it's also about the quality of the food. So things to do with nutrition are becoming more and more important, and the beans really play a, a role here. So it becomes more and more important as you go along when you think about the, the nutrition aspects here. And, and in the way that you were describing um, the work that the Alliance does and the structure of the organisation, I get a very strong sense that it's extremely collaborative. You're working with um, different organizations and sharing um, human resources in multiple parts of the world and um, genetic resources from around the world. Um, So let's talk about that in a little more detail. Can you give me an example of a collaboration that you're working on at the moment? And Tell me a bit about that. Now, maybe giving an example within Pabra, because Pabra is also an example of a, of a successful partnership. Yeah, so Pabra presents a, a framework where we, we, the alliance is able to facilitate research on beans. So the research on beans is from variety development to crop management to marketing to actually consumption and actually studying the impact that comes out of all that process. So within the alliance, uh, the Pabra, Several projects do take place, yeah, that uh, target different aspects of that framework. And several partners are able to, to tag at different entry points within that framework. So within the, the breeding, for example, the variety development, we don't work with one partner. We work with several partners for different topics and different uh, innovations. An example, for example, is a new project that we have on breeding rapid cooking beans that have a higher iron and zinc where we are collaborating with the University of Western Australia and working with six national programs in Africa, that is Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, Tanzania, and Burundi and Rwanda. So those are six countries we are collaborating with the University of Western Australia. So the University of Western Australia brings to us a a body of knowledge on a new technology uh, uh, that can help us to increase the speed at which we achieve genetic gain for cooking time and iron and zinc content. It's using a technology that is based on uh, what animal breeders have been doing for a long time, and maybe even maize breeders, let's say, for example, yeah, that we've not used in common bean. What kind of gains are you aiming for in your breeding program? We expect that, that we'll be able to achieve at least 30% increase in the iron content after five cycles of crossing, let's say, and then 15% increase in iron and zinc, iron, mainly, not zinc, and then we also expect at least to see 10% increase in yield of the materials that come out of that program. So it's a, it's a very exciting uh, breeding program that we are currently <laughs> implementing with the University of Western Australia. I'm, I would like to talk a little bit more about the traits that are selected. You mentioned cooking time, iron content, zinc content being among the 
high priority traits. How were those chosen? We really wanted to to focus on women and children, really. So these traits really are, are traits that women demand. We know cooking time is a trait that once you have faster cooking time, it's a trait that possibly would save women some time uh, in cooking. At the same time, it also saves them the time they spend in collecting firewood. Most of the women, the rural women especially, use uh, firewood or charcoal for cooking. Yeah, And uh, they, ha- they collect the, the firewood from the forest and so on. And this is also a time-consuming, sometimes dangerous uh, activity. So we expect that these faster cooking beans will save the women time. But also something that is very important to note is that we, ex- we know that faster cooking beans will maintain the nutrition qualities. Yeah? So like there is a, already studies that have been done that have shown that longer cooking beans actually leach minerals. So like the longer it cooks, the more it's losing the iron and zinc. But the faster it cooks, it maintains the iron and zinc. So we shall be able to have varieties that are faster cooking, but at the same time are more nutritious. And can you give me an example of when you say faster cooking, what, um, how long can they take now? And what's the objective um, in terms of the breeding program? Yeah, so like most of the, of the bean varieties currently using the traditional ways of cooking will take up to three to four hours cooking. Wow. So if you reduce that by 30%, let's say, we're talking about maybe a variety that can cook for one hour, one and a half hours. That's the dry beans, yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a big difference. And as you say, it has a lot of implications, not just for how they use their time, but also the amount of fuel that's needed and therefore natural resources. And I guess, will it also benefit the food industry as well as the domestic or home cooking market? Some of the companies that are coming up currently in East Africa are, are aimed at, uh, at, uh, at developing products, pre-cooked products or that have high iron and zinc. So they want to have variety that they'll be sure that through the cooking process, they'll be able to maintain that, that, uh, that value of iron and zinc in them. So this will go beyond the women. Though those the rural women really are our main target, but we know that this product is going to go even beyond the the target. But of course, they could act as a as a market for the women that we are trying to 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 target. Yeah, yeah. How did the project come about? It actually took a long time for this project to come back, and actually it was through interactions. You know. It was through a project that was called we call the demand-led breeding project. Yeah? The demand-led breeding project funded by the Syngenta Foundation and Crawford Fund. We had, uh, of course, through friendship, little you know, friendship or collegial collegiality with the people that we were working with to develop that project. Uh, that interacted with my director, current director Jean Claude Rubiogo had this conversation and they were very interested. You know, we talked about cooking time, they got interested. So it, it just came there and then because we have been having this conversation about cooking time and then she's in the market and actually the traders also are saying that people demand for cooking time. So from there, she said, no, we need to work on this. So that is how it came about. Really, it was through this, this demand-led breeding project and the interactions we've been having with the, with the teams and the conversations. Ah, right. Oh, it's, it's really interesting then. So... It sounds like it was a story of um, asking good questions, listening carefully to the answers, and then collaboration and 
relationships with with colleagues all over the world that that led to the project very correct yeah yes these conversations that go on and yeah the other thing i wanted to just touch on is um something that we discussed previously and i know it's important to you um which is this idea of being willing to learn um and I suppose that seems to follow naturally from the question about where did that project come from? Because clearly a big part of the project came from an open-mindedness to what's important in regard of beans um, and and the needs of women and children. And that's how this, this need for shorter cooking times came out. So ex- let's go back to this topic of willingness to learn. Tell me a bit about why is that important to you? What does it mean to you? Ah, thanks, Hannah. For me, the way I see, and maybe I, I can talk about myself individually, is because I see over the time and my career, the way it has come about, it actually has been a learning curve for me. Every step of the way has always been about learning. There's always something to learn. You know, you can never know anything, everything, yeah? Listening to people, uh, sharing ideas, you know, and uh, not being shy to say that you don't know that, you know? You know, so that you're able to have these partners that bring different aspects into something that you could have easily have shunned. You know, you would have said, I'm not going to do that. That is too hard. I don't have that. I will look bad if I say I don't know genomic selection, for example. But if you say, oh, I have no idea. I didn't. I am not trained in genomics. I have no idea. But this is what I do. Then you have this expert who has been doing this fantastic research. And they show you how they're able to actually contribute their knowledge to what you're doing and actually have better results. So yeah, I will not be shy to say, why not? Let's try it because I have no idea what it is. I would like to learn. And if you, you're a person I have spent time with and you've really convinced me that it actually works, given evidence, you know, let's do it. You know, let's learn together because I have met even though people who, who have, whom I have interacted with have also learned something from me. I have also learned something from them. And to me, it is always a continuous learning process. And I always encourage all the young scientists to continually be open to learning and not to be shy to say that they, they don't know something. There's a, there's a lesson in there for us all, definitely, about, about always asking questions. Which leads me to my next question. Um, what are you most proud of in the work that you've done so far? Well, I'm proud of so many things. First of all, I'm very grateful for, for the opportunity to be working where I am, you know. This, the CGIR and the, the Alliance and specifically the PABRA has given me opportunity to work with so many people from different disciplines. It has given me opportunity to learn so much. It has given me opportunity to see many things, to go to many places, see many countries, to see how things are done elsewhere, you know, and be able to improve myself. But it also has given me a, an opportunity, a platform to contribute my knowledge. And I am proud of that. I am proud of the opportunity to have been able to, to train, you know, a number of people. I've been able to train a number of students. And they're now way out there. They are contributing. They're also doing some work in their countries. I am very proud of that. So what's next? Where do you think things will take you for the future or what what things are interesting you at the moment? <laughs> well, I'm just starting this new role of the global breeding lead. It's a challenging job on its own, yeah? And I, I as usual, I'm going to take it on slowly. I'm going to spend time learning. And uh, of course, 
I will not be shy to take on new things. I will not be shy to take on challenges. But I also see myself not only contributing to the breeding, the bean program only. I'm seeing myself contributing to more crops. Yeah. Why I say that is that because now we are going into this one CGIR, and this is going to allow me to interact with the with the different disciplines from different crops from different you know so this is going to give me a platform to actually contribute more and be part of the bigger picture not only to look at one crop but also to see what works in beans or what has worked in maize that can work in beans what has worked in forages what are, what how are people doing their things what have been doing what what are they not doing that maybe we could actually contribute from the bean area so i'm seeing myself playing a bigger role in that direction at the CGIR level. Yeah, I'm seeing a very bright future, very busy bright future, yeah. Fantastic. I am going to have to wrap the conversation up, but it has been so great talking to you, Dr. Claire Mukankusi, Global Breeding Lead for the Common Beans Program at the Alliance of Biodiversity International and SEAT. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Hannah. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Plant Breeding Stories by PBS International, and I'm your host, Hannah Senior. Plant breeding is a pretty specialist podcast topic, which can make it difficult for people who share our interest in this kind of thing to find it. So if you've enjoyed the podcast, recommend it to your friends and colleagues, and please help others in the plant science community to find it by rating this episode and subscribing to the series. I'd love to hear from you if you want to suggest people you'd like me to interview. You can contact me on Twitter at PBSint or on Instagram at PBS underscore Int. Until next time, stay well.